We turn one more time to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. We continue our Advent series. This evening we're just going to read verses 26 through 38, which tells the story of the angel coming and announcing to Mary, the birth of Christ. Our text is verses 34 through 38, which we'll only read one time. Luke 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now the text. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, Every time a child is conceived, a wonder takes place. Nobody could have told you that more than Elizabeth. Elizabeth was an old woman when God gave to her the gift of conception, which means that she knew what it meant to go without. She had gone through that painful process of watching sisters and friends of her own age, having children and raising families, yet she herself was called barren. And in her old age, she had truly come to the point of acceptance of her barrenness, when amazingly, wondrously, she conceived a son. But Elizabeth's unique experience really only highlights in a striking way what is true of every conception. In every conception, the finger of God comes 
to knit together two cells from a man and a woman. The breath of God enters the womb and breathes into that tiny creature which is no bigger than a dot and grants the gift of conscious and personal life where before there was none. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist said, about his own conception. And then this in Psalm 139, verse 14, Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Conception is one of God's works. It should make us shudder to think of the willful destruction of human life that goes on today in the name of freedom. Every so-called abortion unravels what God has knit together, cuts in pieces what God has created and given life. Conception is a wonder. On a whole other level, though, is the wonder of the conception the angel announces to Mary in our text. On the one hand, this conception that the angel announces to Mary is a wonder because it is unlike any other conception that has ever occurred. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There will be no human father involved in this conception. There will be no human explanation or accounting for this conception. It will be a direct and a unique act of God. But what especially sets this conception apart is what it results in. That holy thing which shall be born of thee, Mary, shall be called the Son of God. Or as the prophet said hundreds of years before Mary was born, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is to say, God with us. I call our attention this evening to this text, and the theme is the virgin birth of God the Son. First, we will ident identify the wonder of this. Secondly, the possibility of this wonder. And finally, the faith with which Mary receives this announcement of the angel and the faith, therefore, which ought to characterize our hearing of this news. The virgin birth of God the Son, the wonder, the possibility, and the faith. The conception and the birth of that child who would be born from Mary was a wonder, a miracle. The wonder must be properly understood. And the wonder is not, first of all, in the how. When we read this story, I think we end up getting fixated on the how. But the wonder is not, first of all, in the how, but in the who. Now, don't get me wrong, the how is important. 
The child will be born of a woman who has not known a man. It will be a virgin birth. It will be a miraculous work through the immediate agency of the Holy Spirit. The how is wonderful. But the greater wonder still is the who. The who explains the reason for the how. The who tells us why the virgin birth and the immediate agency of the Holy Spirit and the conception of this child are necessary. The who tells us why a miracle like this happens only once in the lifespan of the universe. The person who was to be born of this virgin was no one less than God Himself, God the Son. Gabriel makes that clear in his remarkable statement in verse 35. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Therefore is an important word. It's important because it points us back to what was said earlier. He shall be called the Son of God, Gabriel says. But what does that mean specifically? Is that name, Son of God, to be understood as an honorary title that shall be given to this person? Will he be called the Son of God simply because he is adopted into God's family just like all of the other children of God are? And the answer is no. Other people have said that's all that Gabriel meant. It's an honorary title. He's the Son of God the way all of God's children are the sons of God. But no, that's not all that Gabriel means. Therefore is significant because therefore indicates this is a climactic statement. It is the conclusion of everything that Gabriel has been saying. To know what he means by Son of God, we have to look back to what he has just said. Which means, first of all, you have to go back to Mary's confusion. Mary was confused. She's trying to add up the things that the angel has just told her in the text that we considered last week. She would conceive and give birth to a son, but how can that be if she is not yet living with her husband Joseph? She has not yet known him. That is, she has not yet known him in a sexual way which is the only way that any child has ever been conceived and born. She was a virgin, not just because she was a young lady, but she was a virgin because she had never had sexual intercourse with a man. Thus her question, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And keep in mind that Mary did not necessarily know the answer to that question the way you and I know the answer to that question. Mary did not take it for granted that God was going to do this wonder as you and I take it for granted because we've heard this story before. A virgin had never conceived before. A virgin had never given birth to a son before. As far as Mary knew, the answer to her question might be that she's going to have a son with Joseph. That this son would be a great son who would have the throne of his father, David. That he would be a king, a prophet, a great person in God's covenant. But did she know 
what that old prophecy of Isaiah's meant when it said a virgin shall conceive. Did she expect this prophecy to be fulfilled in her own womb? How shall this be? I have not known a man. I'm engaged to Joseph. We're going to be living together in one house as husband and wife, but we have not known each other. How shall this be? Gabriel explains. Mary, this is how. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest God shall overshadow you. Your womb is going to be filled with the fullness of God who is going to do a wonder inside of you. Not Joseph, not any human father, but a direct act of God upon your body will be the origin of this child who shall be born of you. Therefore, therefore, that holy thing that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. This is not just an honorary title. This is not just a name that could be given to any one of God's children. He shall be called the Son of God on account of His origin in God Himself, in the divine being. He shall be called the Son of God, in other words, because He is God, the eternal, only begotten Son of God. This is the person who shall be born of thee. This is the wonder of the who. Now just stop for a minute and consider what this must have sounded like to Mary. Her son will be God the Son. The eternal God will fill her womb, not only as the Holy Spirit enters her womb to perform the act of conception in her womb apart from a human father, but the eternal God will be in her womb as a wiggling, moving, growing, developing, kicking human baby. You think of the wonder and excitement when a new married couple sees for the first time that little plus sign on the pregnancy test. We're going to have a child God has done something in my womb. He has fearfully and wonderfully knit together a new life. What a wonder. But what kind of holy awe must have fallen upon Mary when she heard this news from Gabriel? Mary, you're going to be pregnant. And that holy thing, that holy child in you will be God the Son This does not add anything to the holiness or the gravity of Mary herself, we must understand. Mary's womb was no more holy or sanctified than the womb of any other woman. What this actually points to is the depth of the humiliation that God was willing to endure for our salvation. God would descend not only to the cross. God would descend not only to the tomb. He would descend into the womb. He would descend into the womb into the trials and tribulations of child labor. He would descend into the arms, into the breast of a girl whom He created. 
And he will descend there as a baby for your salvation. As amazing of the wonder of the who is, though let's not overlook the how. That was Mary's question. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And that's a pretty crucial question. And it answers a lot about this person who was to be born. How shall it be that God the Son becomes our Emmanuel, God with us? The answer to that question, first of all, is that he shall be born of the Virgin Mary, of her. It's important for us to understand the nature of the conception and birth of Christ of Mary. It is not this. It is not that God created a tiny baby of whole cloth and then took that tiny baby that was made out of whole cloth and put it into Mary's womb for that child to grow there. Mary was not a surrogate mother of a child who otherwise had no physical or genetic relationship to her. No, the angel says that the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall come upon thee to overshadow thee, Mary. And this child who will be conceived in thee will be given the throne of his father, David. And he will be related to David as his father by a real, physical, genetic descent. The overshadowing agency of the Holy Spirit, in other words, will work conception out of the flesh and blood of Mary herself. That's what the text says in verse 35. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, out of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And therefore, just as much as that child will be called the Son of God, the child will also be the child of Mary. I make a point of this because it's been denied. It has been taught that Mary was like a surrogate mother of a child who was not related to her by flesh and blood. What happened according to this thought is that God created a new human nature altogether apart from the flesh and blood of Mary and took that new human nature, a child, and put it in Mary's womb and that child came to term and eventually was born. And according to that account of the birth of Christ, it would be wrong to say that this child had a physical genetic connection to Mary, that he was her son. On that account, he wasn't Mary's son. He was some something else. Now that's not a position that's taken by many Christians today, but we should know it. We should know it because it helps to clarify something that is significant. The Anabaptists who took this position in the days of the Reformation thought that by teaching it this way that they were protecting the holiness of God's Son. He's too holy to be of the flesh and of the blood of Mary. If he's of her flesh and blood, he'll be polluted by her. And the result is that they made him to be not really a man anymore, but something new. At least not a man who's, who's descended from Adam. Not a man who's just like you and just like me. But the truth is, he is really a man. 
really a human being of the human race, of the race of Adam even, the same Adam who fell into sin, though he is not personally guilty of Adam's sin, and though Adam's guilt has not been imputed to him. Now we know this truth. We know that he was a real man. But beloved, do we really know it? Do you really know it? We have amazing opportunities in the time and place in which we live. You can look at an ultrasound and you can see what's going on inside the womb. I've seen the outline of my own children, tiny, no bigger than a bean, growing inside their mother's womb before they were born. And mothers, the mothers here, have felt the movement of little hands and little feet inside their bodies. Now think about this. That was God. That was God the Son in the womb of the Virgin Mary. There were little hands. There were little feet. A little face that was developing, that had its own expressions. A face that if you looked at it, you might have said, that resembles his mother. And yet this child was to be conceived without the agency of a human father. That's what Mary was confused about. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the answer to Mary's question is not, well, this is going to happen after you settle down with Joseph. No, the answer is, this is going to happen without you knowing a man. That's the point, Mary. He will be conceived not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit. And that's why he shall be holy. That's why he will be a holy thing. He could not be a holy thing if he were conceived by a human father. Then he would be a guilty thing. Guilty under the representative headship of Adam. Then he would be a polluted thing with sin passed on to him like a hereditary disease. That's all that human fathers can pass on to their children. Sin, guilt, corruption. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me, the psalmist said, but not the Son of God. He would be a holy thing conceived not by a human father, but by the Holy Spirit. He would be a person, therefore, perfectly equipped and qualified to serve as our mediator, as Emmanuel, very God and very man. What an amazing wonder. Yet the possibility of this wonder has been challenged. And it has been challenged regarding both the who and the how. The big controversy in the ancient church was the challenge of the who. Arius. Arius denied that the child born of Mary was God the Son. The child who was born of Mary, according to Arius, was not God the Son. He was called the Son of God, yes. He was the Word who was with the Father 
In the beginning, yes, Arius would have acknowledged. Certainly he was no mere human being. And he was a creature more powerful than any other creature. Yet, according to Arius, there was a time when this person who was born of Mary was not with the Father. He is not eternal God. And therefore, he is not God. Arius would have said, that's impossible. It's impossible for God to be born of the Virgin Mary. Arius would have said that if the person born of Mary is God, then that means that there's more than one God. Then there's a God who is the Father, and there's a God who is the Son, and there's a God who is the Holy Spirit. And then Christianity is not a religion of one God, but a religion of three gods. Arius denied the possibility that these three persons could be one only true and eternal God, as our creed states. And this is the fundamental and most basic attack on the truth of the Incarnation. Arius' attack is that attack. It's impossible. It's impossible for God to be man. And just so we know how serious this is, and that this is not just a matter for those of us who enjoy reading about ancient history, and that this is not just a matter for abstract theological debate, what we must understand is that by denying the who, Arius was denying the very possibility of salvation itself. He was denying the possibility of a mediator who in one person is both very God and a real righteous man. He was denying that there could be such a person who was able to satisfy the justice of God in our place and to earn for us redemption and reconciliation with God. Arius says by denying the who, that's impossible. The teaching of liberal Christianity is the big challenge against the how. By liberal Christianity, I'm not only talking about left wing. We have a certain idea in our heads about what the word liberal means. We think it means progressive Democrat, maybe. We think it means people who are always pushing the boundaries on social norms and who aren't content with the status quo. In the context of the church, when we hear the word liberal, maybe we think of Christians who ordain women into office or who promote homosexuality. But there's also something known as theological liberalism. And this is a liberalism that goes deeper than social issues, as important as those social issues may be. Theological liberalism is shorthand for a brand or a strain of Christianity. Really, it's not Christianity at all. But a strain of thinking that denies the possibility of anything supernatural or miraculous. Theological liberalism tries to explain the miraculous ten plagues of Egypt by appealing to natural causes. There was a sandstorm, perhaps, that made it dark in Egypt, and that's why it was a darkness that could be felt. It wasn't, it wasn't a miraculous act of God that blotted out the sun to bring horror and dread upon the Egyptians. 
Theological liberalism explains the flood of Noah by saying that this was just a local flood that affected a certain region, but to Noah and a few others maybe it felt like it was a worldwide flood, and that's why it was written that way. It always tries to explain the supernatural through natural causes. Theological liberalism also looks at the virgin birth and says that's impossible. A virgin simply cannot conceive and bear a son. That's impossible. There must be some other explanation for what the Bible is saying here. When Isaiah said that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, he must only have been talking about a young woman. And there were all kinds of young women in those days. And that's not all that unusual for a young woman to conceive and bear a son. As for Mary here in our text, Theological liberalism would speculate and would say maybe she was confused. Maybe she just had a strange dream in which she thought that she was visited by an angel. And it was so real and vivid that she wrote it down or told others about it in such a way that it was written down and came to us as real history. And the story has been exaggerated and changed over time. But it simply cannot be that a virgin conceived without a human father, and gave birth to a son. That's impossible. Theological liberalism denies the how. But notice, you cannot deny the how without also denying the who. If a virgin cannot conceive and bear a son, then it is impossible for God the Son to come into the world and to possess a real human nature. It is impossible then for God to be with us, for there to be Emmanuel, a Savior from sin and death. If you believe theological liberalism, then then you are left with a Jesus who is a good teacher maybe. A Jesus who propagates some good morals. But there is no salvation in that Jesus. There is not even the possibility of salvation in such a Jesus. It's impossible. Well, the possibility of this wonder is asserted confidently by the text, regardless of what Arius said, regardless of what theological liberalism declares, and regardless of what any might say about this today. Our God is a God who does wonders. And as Christians, we might stop right there and put a period and say, enough said. Will we say it's impossible for God to bring it about that a virgin conceives and bears a son without a human father? Will we say that's impossible only to turn around and act like we know what we're talking about and we know what's going on any time any child is conceived and born? The fact is, every conception is a wonder work of God. Every conception is something that God works in the lowest part of the earth. And even though medical science can go a long ways to explain a lot about conception and birth, you can even look right into the womb through an ultrasound. Nevertheless, Even advanced medical science today cannot account for the finger of God that brings life where before there was nothing but tissue, cells, and information. 
There's a supernatural act of God that confronts us every time a child is conceived and born into the world. Miracles really do happen every day, if you want to put it that way. And that's true even if those miracles have become so routine to us that they don't seem like miracles anymore. But Gabriel had something else to show Mary to confirm that God is indeed a God who does wonders. Mary, if you're struggling with this, go visit your cousin Elizabeth. You know her. She's old. And she's never been given the gift of a child. And yet, with her, it is the sixth month of pregnancy. And the child that is growing in her womb is a viable child. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren by everybody who thinks they understand these things. Everyone would have said it's impossible for Elizabeth to have a son at this point in her life. But nothing shall be impossible with God. His power and his ability are without limits, defying the capacities of human understanding. And therefore, if this smaller miracle is possible, the conception in Elizabeth's womb, then also this greater wonder is possible as well. The wonder of the who. The wonder of Emmanuel. This is the wonder that explains in the first place why God created the world and human beings. This is the wonder that explains why God caused this miraculous conception in Elizabeth as a sign to point to this greater wonder. This is why I have been sent to you, Mary, as an angel from God to tell you this news so that God might manifest His glory by bringing His perfect Son into the world and by demonstrating the power that belongs only to Him. What man says is impossible. God has done. He has come down into the flesh and blood of real humanity. He has condescended to dwell with His creation in a way so close and intimate that He has actually become one of us. And not just to dwell with us, but to live among us as our head and as our representative, to accept our guilt, to suffer for us, even to die for us and to endure hell for us. And that belongs to the ultimate wonder of the birth of God's Son. A wonder that speaks to each one of us personally and individually who believe in Him. For it's not only Arius and theological liberalism who deny the possibility of this wonder sometimes. It's also you and me who are tempted to do that sometimes, isn't it? Not that we deny it in so many words. Not that we deny it by becoming disciples of Arius or by becoming theological liberals. But we deny it by saying, this could never be for me. How could this ever be for me? How could the holy and transcendent God who created heaven and earth care about a poor sinner like me? He's too high. He's too exalted. And I'm too low 
It's impossible. This is impossible. Not so with God. Nothing shall be impossible, the angel says. Not even the incarnation of his only begotten son for the salvation of those who believe in him. Not even your personal redemption through the blood of this person who came into the world through the womb of Mary. It is possible. It is possible with God. In a beautiful way, Mary understood this and believed it. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. A part of what stands out about Mary's faith is that it wasn't cheap. We know the story. But when you read the story, Think about what this meant for Mary. What are the people going to say when this young woman is suddenly showing signs of pregnancy before her marriage to Joseph has been finalized? This was not easy for her. Mary almost lost Joseph, who was about to put her away because he assumed what anybody would have assumed. Virgins don't conceive, virgins don't become pregnant without a man involved. And that man wasn't me, Joseph would have been thinking. What are the people to think? What is Joseph to think? And Mary simply has to bear with the fact that regardless of any explanation that she gives, people are going to misunderstand what's happening to her. This was costly for her. It has not become easier to believe in the wonder of the birth of God's Son today either. There's a cost to your faith, young people. People will think you're weird. They will say you believe a story, a story that's really no different from the stories of Santa Claus and his elves. Virgins don't conceive and bear sons. That's impossible. That's ridiculous. If there is a God, he hasn't become a man. Jesus, whoever he was, is simply dead and buried long ago, just like everybody else from history. Faith is not cheap. The cost of this faith makes it striking then when Mary simply receives the word of the angel with such meekness. She knew what it was going to cost her. But she receives the word of the angel. And when you read that, you can't help but compare her to Zacharias in the temple six months earlier. I need a sign. Give me a sign. People are going to think I'm crazy. I need more than an angel to come down and tell me 
that I'm going to have a son. Give me a sign. Give me some token. Zacharias even had the example of Abraham and Sarah in the scriptures that he could have used as an analogy. There was a sign. He had an angel talking to him. There was a sign. But he could not believe. He simply could not believe that his wife Elizabeth would conceive and bear a son in her old age. Or he was afraid to say that he believed it. How could I believe something so ridiculous? The people, what will the people say? And therefore he was struck dumb until God's word was carried out to chasten him for his weak faith. What does Mary say? Be it unto me according unto thy word. She believed. She believed. And she believed with a servant, with the spirit of a servant who was receiving the word of her master. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, that's who I am. The servant girl of God. Just a servant. I can bear with the cost. I can bear with the consequences. I can bear with it. Even if I should lose Joseph, even if the people should say slanderous things, I can receive this wonder. Even if I can't fully understand it, be it unto me according to thy word. Who do you resemble, beloved? Do you resemble Zacharias or Mary? Let this be the response of your heart when the Word of God proclaims to you the wonder of the Incarnation, both the who and the how. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be so according to thy word. There's one more striking element to Mary's faith that we should not overlook, which is very instructive, which is this. Mary asked questions. Now, her questions were not questions that were designed to challenge and undermine the word of the angel. Her questions were not questions of the nature of unbelief and skepticism, but she asked questions, questions to deepen her understanding of what the angel was saying and thus to deepen her faith in his word. Faith comes through understanding. And that means Mary's faith was not passive. Mary was engaged, and her engagement in the word of the angel led her to the appropriate effect that this wonder ought to have upon her soul, which was that she should be amazed and filled with awe at the mercy and power and goodness of God. She's amazed. Beloved, be a Mary. Be a Mary. Let that be the way you celebrate Christmas and the holidays this year. With a heart ready to believe. A heart ready to be amazed at the glory and wonder 
of salvation. God, the Son, your Savior, really was born of a virgin, and he really is our Emmanuel. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for this word. And we pray that thou deepen our understanding of this mystery. We know, Father, that we can never probe the depths. There will always be that place where we come up short. How can we understand the mystery of the incarnation? The mystery of thy Son, who is begotten of thine own being, and yet who is himself personally very God. How can we understand it? Yet, O Father, answer our questions as it seems good unto thee, and let thy truth so influence our lives that we can say with Mary, Behold, the handmaiden or the servant of the Lord, let it be so in me according to thy word. Send us away from thy house with thy blessing upon us. And hear our prayer for Jesus' sake.